have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to please open it to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. This morning, we'll focus on verses 1 through 11. As you're turning there, I, I want to ask you a question. How long have you lived? Now, you may answer that with the chronological number. I've lived 47 years. I've lived 23 maybe 78. But before you answer that question, I want to reframe it. I want to reframe it with just a, a story from, from an experience in my life. When I was a sophomore in college, myself and some friends decided that during our Christmas break, to be more specific, the week after Christmas, we were going to drive up to Gatlinburg and hike up to Rocky Top. There is a literal rocky top. It's, it's a hillside or a mountain, top of a mountain there that's called Rocky Top. And we thought, we're not just going to sing about it. We're going to hike up to it. Say, so we have literally been to Rocky Top. So we got up early one morning around 4 a.m., made the drive from Athens, Tennessee, up to Gatlinburg, and started on our hike. And let me tell you, it was absolutely frigid. I remember it was frigid for two reasons. First, at that time, I had a severely dislocated pinky, and I had on this this brace that was metal, and every time I touched something metal, it stuck to it, so I had to be careful. The other reason I remember it was so cold is at that time, I was sporting a mustache. Now, take a moment and just get that image out of your mind. Yeah, yeah, no, no eyes. And I can remember with my faith, you know, feeble attempt at a mustache as I was hiking and sweating, the little drops of perspiration would actually freeze on the end of my stash. Kind of had a curly cue thing going on. It was fringe and we were hiking and complaining and thinking to ourselves, why are we out here? We had perfectly good warm beds. What are we doing this for? And then we got to the top. By the time we reached Rocky Top, the sun was out. The clouds were gone. And it was absolutely beautiful. The grass was about knee high and there was a breeze blowing and it was warming up as the sun, as the sun not only illuminated but radiated the air around us. And I can remember just sitting down, in fact, laying back in the grass, feeling the sunlight, feeling God's good pleasure, feeling a sense that there is a God. He is worthy of praise. In that moment, forgetting about the journey, forgetting about the hike, forgetting about the tiredness, and just enjoying God. Now with that in mind, let me ask you again, how long have you really been alive? How many times can you look back and think of moments like that where you experienced the presence of may have been in a time where you and your family were praying, or, or you and your friends had gathered. It may be in a time like this. But how long have you been alive? We all desire that. There's something within us that desires more than just marking the days by the ticks of a clock as it goes by. We desire to live. Jesus came that we might have that. Here, what he says in John chapter 10, 
Start, let's start at verse 1. Hear what our Lord says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, by, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We don't want just life. Every one of us longs for the abundant life that Jesus spoke about. We long for a life that has meaning in it. A life that has a lasting satisfaction. Now, I make that statement that we all desire that, not based on some psychological research, but based upon the Word of God. Up on the screen, you'll see a verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now that is a, a famous chapter because at the beginning of it, that's where the, the preacher, Solomon, says there's a time to laugh and a time to cry, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embrace, embracing. There's a time, an appropriate time for all things. But look at this. He, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. God has a plan and a purpose, but also He has put eternity into our we long for something more. We want something greater than the things of this world that blossom and then fade. We want something more than the light that appears for a moment and fades away. But look at this also yet. So that he, that is man, cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So this is where we hit this struggle. We long for something more. But we are limited in our ability to understand God and to understand how we can achieve that eternity. We are limited in our reach so that we cannot grasp the life that we want. So that is why God intervened. That is why God revealed himself ultimately in Christ so that we would begin to understand who he is and seek him in redemption. Because apart from God's self-revelation, Apart from God's Word, you and I will seek the abundant life in ways that don't bring it. Now remember, we all want this, so we will begin to seek this life to find substitutes for God that in the end never satisfy. Now, these are clearly in front of each of us. 
You know how we seek to find the abundant life? We think the abundant life is found in money and stuff. How many times have one of us thought to ourselves, man, if I could just make a million dollars, or if I could just get enough to be, be completely comfortable in life, then I know that I would be happy and satisfied and things would go great. But I want to ask you to consider the track record of what happens when a person does get a lot of money. I want you to consider for a moment the misfortune of those who have actually won the lottery. The misfortune of it. Did you know that researchers have found that when a person wins the lottery, the level of greed in their life increases? Take, for example, the, the, of a man by the name of Jack Whitaker. Jack Whitaker hit it big in the lottery around the late 90s, around the year 2000. Won $315 million. That's right, $315 million. Do you know today he says that he wishes he would have never won? His life became a tragedy. He took the money he had received and began to give his granddaughter whatever she wanted. He wanted to make her happy. He wanted her to, to know a life that didn't know the deprivation he had known growing up and then in her search for truly abundant life. She died of a drug overdose in the year 2002. His daughter, same story. Anything they wanted. But there was still something lacking, and so she began to seek for that in drugs. And in 2009, his daughter died of an overdose. Jack Whitaker said, and I quote, Since I won the lottery, I think there is no control for greed. I think if you have something, there's always something else you want more. Now listen to this. I wish I would have torn that ticket up. $315 million dollars. I wish I'd have never had it. Can the things of this world truly satisfy our longing for an abundant life? Did you know that lottery winners are more likely to file for bankruptcy than anyone else? When money writes you a check for happiness, you can always count that it will balance. It will never bring what we long for. But now there are other ways. There are other ways that we search for this abundant life that Jesus gives. Now we search for it in spirituality rather than religion. We live in an age where the religious nuns have surpassed now those who claim an identity based upon religion. Now when I say religious nuns, I'm referring to when you fill out a demographic survey and ask, what is your religion? More people in America today mark none than at any other time in our history. In fact, it has surpassed the number of those who identify with a faith or a denomination. Now there is a difference in religion and spirituality. Both of them can have positive components to it. Religion is how we interact with God. It's how we interact with one another. Spirituality is that sense of transcendence that we are made as spiritual beings, but both of them become corrupted when we view them as the means to abundant life rather than Jesus Christ. Religion carries a negative connotation because it becomes it comes burdened 
with rules and traditions and I have to do this and I have to do that and we lose a sense of meaning and a sense of connectedness with God because we have made the performing of the act our goal rather than God. Spirituality is corrupted because it becomes human-centered. Today's spirituality is defined as you follow your God whatever and however you define that God to be. Whatever you want God to be is your God. You follow Him. In the book Religious, R-E-L-I-G-I-H, the author encourages people to dismantle what she calls toxic theologies. To be spiritual, you need to jettison these outdated theologies like human depravity. We're not sinful. She also argues that we need to lay aside potentially dangerous notions of servanthood and sacrifice. Because spirituality now is a code word for worshiping at the church of me while I bow at the altar of self. It is spirituality devoid of truth. Now those efforts both define material things that will give us the abundant life we long for and the corruption of religion and spirituality to bring about the abundant life both collide head on with the teachings of Jesus Christ because Jesus talks about abundant life. Look in verse 10. The thief came to steal, to kill and destroy, but Jesus says, I came. Do you get I came. The reason I have come is that they that is the sheep, those who follow him, those who hear his voice and respond, might have life. And notice the, the, the adverbial phrase that follows, and have it abundantly. Jesus is saying that I will come and I will give you that for which you are longing. Abundant life is synonymous with eternal life. Now when I say eternal life, the first thing that comes to our minds is, is chronology, length. Forever. That's what we begin to think of. But I want you to understand that eternal life is more about quality than it is quantity. Eternal life is about a quality of life that is given to us by faith in Jesus. Eternal life is contrasted with life here. If life here is marked by sorrow, eternal life is marked by joy. If life here is marked by heartache, eternal life is marked by healing. If life here is marked by turmoil, eternal life is marked by peace. So when Jesus says that I've come to give you eternal life, and I've come to give you life abundantly, he is not saying I've come to give you all the material stuff that you want because material stuff cannot satisfy the longing of our soul. He is saying I've come to give you a life that is marked by peace, joy, that is marked by kindness and goodness and to give you this life now and on into eternity ever growing in joy, ever growing in peace, ever growing in the sense of fulfillment that only God can give. The satisfaction our souls long for is found only in Jesus. And that's the truth that the Pharisees, the religious professionals tripped over. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I want to tell you, I've been guilty in the past of interpreting that phrase as a reference to Satan. And I think there's truth in that. I think we can safely say that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. However, in this passage, Jesus is not referring to Satan. 
He's referring to those that have studied the Torah their entire life. But they don't recognize Jesus. The thief that steals, kills, and destroys is that religious leader who continues to believe that their religious performance is what will give them abundant life. Since that attitude will destroy you. He tells a parable in verses 1 through 5. It's a very brief parable about a shepherd who comes to the sheep pen. There's one gate at the sheep pen. And there's a gatekeeper. My understanding is that at the time Jesus was teaching, a lot of people would bring their sheep and they would share a sheep pen. And there would be one poor shepherd, probably the shepherd intern, who had to sleep all night in front of the gate so nobody would come in and steal the sheep. And he would only open the gate to the legitimate shepherd. Anybody else that tried to sneak in was a thief. That's what he says in verse 1. If you don't come into the sheepfold by the door, but you try to come another way, that man is a thief and a robber. The shepherd comes in the right way, revealing his authority. The thief does not come in the right way, for he has no authority. Now, look down to verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. The them is the Pharisees. It's those who in chapter 9... We're speaking with the blind man that Jesus had healed. Jesus had touched him and sight returned. And he gives glory to God and the Pharisees are angry because this man received his sight on the Sabbath day. <gasps> it's not. Look what God has done. It's look, what a, look, look what he did on the Sabbath. He's breaking the rules. He's throwing aside our tradition. They simply did not recognize the authority and identity of Jesus. And they revealed themselves to be the thieves who were not coming in by the door, which is Christ, but were trying to come in to steal the sheep through the religious performance. Religious practice without a love and a desire for God through Jesus will not save and it will not give the satisfaction Without a relationship with God through Christ, religious performance will only deaden your soul and cause the life to eventually end. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Look up on the screen. This is from John chapter 5. To the same group, he said, you search the scriptures. You know what that's what he said? You have your Bible studies because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's they that bear witness to me. The Bible bears witness to Christ. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He's saying you have been studying and studying and studying. And now God is here and you deny him. He's giving a warning that we need not go through the motions without remembering that we study, we pray, we worship. To know God, to know his son and to be transformed by him. We could be doing all the right things worship attendance, giving, prayer, fasting. But if we are not doing them to know God, to love Him through Christ, we are missing the point. In 1996, one of the greatest tragedies on the face of Mount Everest occurred and a storm, an unpredictable storm, came in on the side of the mountain and killed, I think, about 18 people in one day.
John Krakauer recorded this in his book, End of Thin Air, and he tells the story of one woman by the name of Yosuka Namba. She was 46 years old. She was a Japanese FedEx employee that had a passion for climbing. She had climbed, at the age of 46, all of the major mountains in the world except Everest. And now it was in her sight. Krakauer was a part of the team, and he records how they would watch her as she climbed with this unrelentless spirit, step after step, even trying to get to the front of the line as they were going up because she wanted to be the oldest woman ever to summit on Everest. She died on the way down. Her and the others that passed away ignored the warnings and perished. Krakauer said her fatal flaw was this had the wrong goal. Any mountain climber will tell you the goal is not to get to the top. The goal is to get to the top and back down safely. That's the goal. Now hear me clearly on this. Prayer, Bible study, worship attendance, they are important, crucially, vitally important. But always keep in mind this. Our goal is just to do them. Our goal is to know God in Jesus Christ. That's our goal. That's what we want. Jesus says, if you look at this, I am the door of the sheep, verse 7. He repeats it again. I am the door in verse 9. He says, I am the good shepherd. He changes metaphors here to show he is the way, the truth, and the life. We're not going to know this abundant life. So the question we have to wrestle with is this. Am I drawing closer to the Lord? When's the last time you experienced His presence? Now I know we are not home yet. So there are going to be times in our struggle in this world where we feel close to God and there are going to be times where we feel like we are in the wilderness. But I ask you, believer, when is the last time you can say, I have experienced the presence of God as I have prayed? I've experienced the peace of God as I worship with other believers. Or have we fallen into the trap of thinking, just showing up, just going, just doing the works is enough when God desires that our hearts would hunger for Him and to know Him. I don't want to settle for anything less than the abundant life that Jesus has promised. I want to be able to say with the John Wesley at Aldersgate, I felt my soul strangely warmed. I want to be able to say with Blas Pascal who encountered God one night as he was praying, joy, 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 fire, not the God of the philosophers, but certitude, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for three pages, he writes, joy, joy, joy. I want to know the fervency of a George Whitfield who preached, even though people mocked him and threw tomatoes and dead cats at him, he still preached because he knew the living Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, and as we clap, is that your desire? We have a lot of stuff going on. We do, and I'm thankful for Trinity. I love you. But I'm excited about this revival that we're going to put a stop to, to a lot of things and just focus on coming together to worship because my fear for us as a church is that sometimes I'm afraid we are so 
busy doing, we forget the goal. We forget why we're doing it. And it's my prayer that we will come back and we will not fall in to the thievery of performance. But we will know this abundant life. Jesus says, I set aside dates. Revival is God's work. But what you will find historically is that when God's people are hungry for Him, seeking Him, and saying, God, please do a work, more often than not, God shows up. Are we there? Are we at the place of saying, Lord, We've been doing so much. Father, help us now to know you. We don't have to wait. This morning when I extend the invitation, and I'm standing here at the front, and Nathan and Michael are here also, if you want to come and just kneel at this kneeling bench, just to begin saying, Lord, my heart is heavy. I want to know you. You can do that. Maybe the Spirit is speaking to your heart this morning saying, you know what, I've been going to Bible study, I've been going in prayer, but you know what, I've let the focus become doing those things rather than knowing God. Those things are not bad, don't get me wrong, but they're only bad when we forget the reason why. So to that end, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me, Nathan and Michael, if you'll come and join me at the front. The three of us are, are here. We, we are available to pray with you. If your heart is just heavy and, and you, just want, you just want to come and just let somebody wrap an arm around you and say, hey, I'm praying with you. I'm a fellow struggler on the journey that hungers for abundant life. Listen, that's what the three of us are. None of us have it together. But what we can say is we serve a perfect Savior who holds all things together. So this morning when we begin to sing, like I said, we're not going to dry out the invitation. We're just going to be, be to the point. If you are just at the point where you are hungry and you're saying, Lord, I need you. You came that I might have abundant life. Father, please give it to me. You can come and just kneel and pray. Father, search our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that we will be dwelling in the abundant, spirit-filled life that is given to us through Jesus. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And He has prepared a place for us through His cross and resurrection. So, Father, let us be found walking in the way. Stir our hearts, oh God, with a passion for You. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our living Savior, his name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing. And as we sing, if you need to come, step forward.